0: You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from new to you sources. Today, I'm chatting with Amanda Wheeler. Amanda is a certified strength and conditioning specialist and PN1 coach. She is the co founder of the online women's fitness community, Formation Strength, and part of the crazy cast of fitness ninjas at Mark Fisher Fitness. On this episode, Amanda and I get into the differences of owning a gym and being a coach in a gym how creating a shared language with clients changes everything, formation strength, and mental health misconceptions. This episode contains potentially triggering content consisting of mental illness, anxiety, and suicide. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. In prepping for our podcast, I did a deep internet dive on you before the show, and I saw that you've been interested in fitness since American Gladiators. If there was one event that would be your best, what would it be? This is an awesome question. And I love that you dug and
1: found this because this was was like my dream to be an American Gladiator from the time I was like seven. So I think probably now either like the gauntlet, I don't know if you remember any of the American Gladiator events, but the gauntlet was where they had to run through a tunnel and get past four gladiators, kind of pummeling them. And I just feel like it's a very representative of New York City, like trying to get through spaces. So I think gauntlet would be one just that's applicable, but hang tough, whether to be in the rings and they had to make their way across and the gladiator would try to grab them down and like yank them and try to get them to fall off. Yeah, that'd be your second best. I think I would be really good at that or at least being able to hang on for a long time. I just feel like gauntlet hilariously enough is just like a representation of what New York City is now, so.
0: Yeah, did they have to go through the maze or was that just from one side to the other?
1: Gauntlet was just one side to the other. It was just like a straight tunnel, but all of them were so, I was just like, running through stuff and getting beat up. And I just, I loved it so much.
0: I, you know, I watched that as a kid too, and it was such an interesting show. And I think it actually paved the way for American Ninja Warrior. They had like an obstacle course like they have on Ninja Warrior now. Yeah. No, that's probably so
1: true. I don't know why I have never made that correlation, but I think... Yeah, for sure. Does American Ninja Warrior, is it just, is it one person doing it or do, are they going, do they fight against people? No, no, it's
0: just one person doing it, but maybe maybe next season that would be an idea for them. <laughs> That'd be
1: awesome. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Okay, so jumping off of that, why don't you give us a 60-second intro into how you got into strength training?
1: So I played sports literally my whole life. My senior year, I tore my ACL and meniscus playing basketball. And as part of rehab, I started doing strength training with the football players. And I ended up going to school for something different, but I continued to train throughout school. And basically the day I graduated, I was like, I'm not going to do what my degree was. I'm going to jump into fitness because I just loved it so much. And that was in 2005. And that's when I jumped in at Ballet Total Fitness was my first training gig. Oh man, that is a throwback name. Do they still have Ballet Total Fitness? I believe they went bankrupt several years ago, which makes sense after being there for about (laughs) a year. But yeah, it was a a crazy, it was just like one of those places where they just brought on as many trainers as they could. Kind of like, didn't really matter the background, which definitely worked to my advantage at first. Because I didn't have a, when I started training at Ballet's, I didn't have a certification they like, if you can get one within 90 days, they kind of teach you. And they had some cool onboarding stuff. So I definitely did learn some stuff. It was just like, you know, 40 trainers on staff. They're just trying to get as much money as they could. And yeah, I think they have since closed.
0: Well, from Bally's,
1: where did you go? From Bally's, I got recruited to go start a training program at a YMCA, which is in basically the next town over. So our fitness director got pulled to the YMCA to start their program. And he pulled a couple of us. It was an old elementary school. They didn't have a coaching program at all. And then we went over and started their training program. And we were there for maybe just over a year, maybe a year and a half until the director there found out that one of the guys and I were kind of toying with the idea of opening a space. And after they caught wind that we were thinking about opening a gym, they fired us. (laughs) So we were like, oh yeah, we were like out like pretty quickly, but we developed our program. We grew it quite a bit in a year and a half. And then we got the boot. So we started training in a park and then in my garage and then in his garage until we finally opened up a space.
0: Oh, nice. Do you want to talk
1: a little bit about that space that you opened? Sure. Yeah, we had a, this was like, Back in the day, like 2007, 2008, it was before CrossFit was like really on the scene. We found out about CrossFit, basically like, what the heck is this? And we started doing it and kind of fell in love. And we ended up opening a gym called New Species Athletics, where we did different teams. We did sports teams. And then we ended up
0: affiliating with CrossFit in 2008. And we opened a CrossFit facility. So you've owned a gym and now you're a trainer at a gym. What's the difference for you?
1: There are huge differences (laughs) between owning a gym and, and coaching at a gym. I think first, I mean, you know, we were, the best part was we were just really young and ignorant and we just had no clue about running a gym or what it would take to do it. And I think that definitely worked to our advantage. So I think if we knew what it would entail, I don't know if we would have pressed forward as hard as we did. Training at a gym, I, you know, I have the very wonderful opportunity to basically walk into Mark Fisher Fitness every day with people already there wanting to train. I get to coach classes, I get to go and have fun. and I don't have to think about how are we going to get toilet paper? <laughs> what happens if my body online like crashes on the back end? So I think training and operating a facility are two extremely different skill sets. And I think if you're a coach or if you have toyed with the idea of opening a facility because you love training, it's awesome, but they're completely different. So running a business and training are two very, very different things. So it's, I would just throw out, if anybody is like toying with the idea of opening a facility, just understand what's involved in running a facility before you jump in because you love coaching. Because it's awesome to make your own schedule. It's awesome to make you know, the environment yours or to bring in people that you want to work with but it really does take a whole different set of skills to be able to run a facility.
0: I think too, in this business, there's a lot of people who think that in order to make it or to be somebody in the fitness space, you have to own a facility. What would you say to that?
1: I would disagree with that. I think like if you, if anybody follows like, you know, Cresty sports performance or Pete Dupuy puts out wonderful information about really what operating and owning facility entails and I think for a lot of people, it's just, they get way in over their heads or, you know, it's like, yeah, they don't know about marketing or they don't know like, how do they get butts in the seats, even if they're a great gym. And I think sometimes it gets overwhelming or people think they own a gym and they're only going to work, you know, five hours a day when the reality is when you're starting a gym, you're working 16, 18 hours a day. You're the one that opens it. You're the one that closes it. You're the one that has to clean it at first if you don't have the money to pay somebody to clean, or if you don't have an internship program where interns are doing different things. Like you're the one that has to talk to the vendors. It's like, it's not about just coaching. It's literally about all this other stuff. And I think we romanticize what owning a gym is. And really it's like Michael Keeler, who was, the other owner of Mark Fisher Fitness, like he will flat out tell people like, don't open a gym, (laughs) like (laughs) don't open a brick and mortar facility. It's like, it's a brutal business. And if you do it well, you really, you know, it's like you can do it, but it takes a long time. And I think if people just want to go open up a space, it really is going to be years before you can have the flexibility or the opportunity to kind of step away or only work five hours or only train five hours if you want, because then you also have to, if you are bring on people, you have to teach them systems and processes and, and you just are going to be there all the time. So it's like, if you like coaching, develop your craft, develop your skill and become an amazing coach. If you want to own a business, like develop that skill. But I think it's just really understanding they're two different skills. And to be a great coach, you don't have to own a facility like Kevin Carr. I think is a like, dude is an amazing coach doesn't own a facility and gets to travel the world and like coach people. So there are opportunities to do it without owning a facility.
0: So what led to your leaving New Species and moving to New York? <clears throat> That's a great question.
1: <laughs> this was like 2011 or like 2010. We had been in it for a couple of years and we were doing well and the gym is still there. The, the guy that I owned it with is still there. he has been, been 10 years and he's still going strong. And for me at that point in my life, I was turning 30, I was 29, and I didn't want to live in Michigan. I was like, I didn't, like, the gym was awesome, like, my life was cool, and I was like, is this it? Like, is this it? And just to throw this out, I was gay in Michigan at the time, this was like early 2000s, and I just, like, I didn't know any gay people, really, I didn't know any women at all. And I was just like, where are the gay women? Like, and it was still, and it still kind of is when I was, you know, I was in I was in Michigan this weekend for a little bit and it was still kind of like, not taboo, but I, I took my girlfriend with me and it was kind of like some places I'm like, can we hold hands here? Like people look at us kind of weird. I think part of it too, is that was just like kind of personally knowing what I wanted in the next step of my life. And I was to meet people and to be around other like-minded people. And the move from Michigan, I think was it was apparent at the time that if I wanted to live a certain way or meet people, that Michigan was probably not the
0: place for me. And New York City is where you landed. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. New York's the best, yeah. So recently you started Formation Strength, an online strength committee. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So Formation was kind of birthed out of the election, which was is kind of crazy to think about but it started as I wanted to create a space for women at Mark Fisher fitness. And I wanted to have a strength conditioning program there for them to really tap into strength. Cause we do semi-private training and we do classes and stuff, but I wanted it to be a space for identifying women to come get strong, like work together and like work through stuff together. And fortunately, unfortunately we just couldn't make it work at MFF just with, the price that people would have to pay, the timing, like having the space to be able to do it outside of like general class times and having people be able to come. And I knew it was something I really wanted to pursue. And and so it's was like, unfortunately, I couldn't do it at MFF, but that was probably the best thing that could have happened because then we took it to an online space and I knew I wanted it to be for women. And I reached out to Lori Lindsay like a couple months after I am like, ah oh, man, I kind of want to do this thing. And she and I were mentors together in a group called Strength Faction, which is a peer to peer strength coaches group. And I was just like, hey, I want to do this thing. Like, it's going to be for women. You're pretty awesome. We kind of vibe on the same wavelength. Like, would you want to do this with me? And she was like, yeah. So it was like, like, great. And when we first started it, we're like, we didn't know what it was going to be. We're like, we just want this space for women to come be strong and be themselves. And obviously, Lori is an elite. Athlete and used to be competitive, and so we wanted it to also open it up to women who maybe weren't playing sports anymore but like long for that kind of like team environment. And so, as we were like kind of trying to figure it out, we're like, we don't know what it's going to be, let's just do a beta group of something and kind of figure it out. So, we put out a just a a blast on Facebook, and we're just like, we would like 10 women to try this thing that we're trying. We want to run a little beta test and it's free. We just want your feedback at the end of 12 weeks. And we ended up getting 30 women from like six different countries. And we kind of created it as we went. I mean, we knew in advance, like the months in advance, what we wanted it to be, but we were just kind of figuring it out as we went along. And the first group ended up being like, oh my gosh, this is definitely a thing. And we had people now still in the group that, that were in beta when we ran it. And it's just kind of turned into this really beautiful online space for women. And and we're like, we're all gay, the coaches, but it's for just women in general who are gay allies who can come be in a safe space. So that has been kind of the formation journey so far.
0: So what has it been like moving from in-person training to online training? It's
1: similar. There, it's challenging in some ways. It's better in other ways. It's, it's kind of an interesting change. We've all only coached in person, so online has been like a whole new. I mean, it's like if you go from being a coach to owning a business. If you think that's a different skill set, like doing in-person coaching to online coaching is a completely different skill set. Especially mm-hmm. if we're talking just business back end, but for clients in general, obviously one-on-one, you get you know, more interaction and you get that personal, you know, it's like you get to be with them. You get to share experiences and, they, and, and you're face-to-face with them. I think the challenge with online is obviously from a coaching perspective, you're not there with them coaching them. You don't get to see how they're actually moving. We do videos, like they people do videos and send them in and we'll give them critique and help, but it's like you're not in person with them. One of the things that I think has been interesting, which I didn't expect was we do, with our training team, we do weekly check-ins. And I think even if you're in person with somebody and you're seeing them several times a week, you can check in on the day-to-day. And a lot of times they disclose information, like you develop relationships with your clients. But there's something I think about being behind a screen and not in person that people end up going a little bit deeper or disclosing different information than if they're face-to-face because there's not those inhibitions of, you know, we're human adults and I'm going to tell you this thing and I'm scared that you might judge me as we're like behind a screen, sometimes people let their guard down a little bit and they are willing to go a little bit deeper. So I totally wasn't expecting that at all. But the check-ins and the personal relationships being built, I would say are the same, if not more,
0: even though you're over a screen than in-person coaching. Yeah, it sounds like there's some sort of feeling of safety or security with, with typing something online versus telling somebody in person. For sure. Well, and I think... You know, that's a, it's a
1: great thing in a lot of circumstances. And unfortunately, you know, just in an online world in general, it can be like pretty brutal. Just in other circumstances where people are not afraid to, you know, say what they think and and be kind of mean and rude sometimes. So it definitely goes both ways of like, this is a great thing. And it's also can be used for, you know, not great things.
0: Right, right. So what are some of the actions that you've taken to make the gym spaces that you've been a part of as well as formation strength, the online strength community, safe spaces and inclusive? Great question. I think
1: one is just, if like, as being the coach, like showing up with no ego at all, where it's like, it's not about me. It's not about the coaches. It is literally, it's about the clients. It's about the people in front of you, either in person or online. I think at Mark Fisher Fitness, if I'm working in person with clients, like we do a great job or they have done a great job of creating systems of language that is extremely inviting, where I think language and fitness is one of the things that people are most scared of. It's like going to a doctor, right? Where it's like, if your doctor, you know, tells you all this medical stuff that's wrong with you and you don't understand what they're saying, it's like, you feel kind of stupid. And then it's kind of scary because you don't, you know, it's like, you don't know what's actually happening and you don't understand. I think teaching people a shared language is a great way to be like, you know exactly what I'm saying. You can communicate back with me. We understand each other. I can be a better coach because you understand the language I'm using. And it's kind of fun. So like at MFF, we use crazy cues. I've shared some of these before, but uh, when we talk about something like posterior pelvic tilt, we call that sad dog. So people get a visual of what their body should be doing or their pelvic bowl should be doing instead of yelling like tuck your hips or push your pelvic tilt because it's like nobody knows what that means, right? It's like people don't know and they also don't care really. So giving them some kind of silly visual that takes some of the clinical side of it away is a great way to invite people into a space. I think just the common language is so, so helpful. And then just really the lack of ego where it's like, we're there for them. We're there to help them. And so it's just, it's just not about you as the coach.
0: You say also that you have worked on not having an ego. What has that been like? Have you had a process around that? Kind of. Yeah. I think, you know, I was super competitive growing up.
1: I think in the the Midwest and especially when we were, you know, back in my CrossFitting days, you know, it's like you wanted to be the best or you wanted to beat everybody. And I think Going from a participant, like if I I was participating in a class, and it doesn't, like I still have a little bit of competitive edge where it's like, yeah, I want to, like, it'll be fun. But I think really realizing as a coach that it's not, it's not my job to make somebody feel bad or feel intimidated or feel scared. Like I'm, I'm literally their teacher. So if I can teach somebody, if I can give them the tools necessary, it's really I think that's what it is where it's like, I'm just, we're just teaching people and, and do sometimes teachers have egos? Maybe, but it's like, if, I, if I'm just sharing information, hopefully getting them to understand and then they can use it, um, I think that takes a lot of ego away. There has to be a curiosity. If you're coming with ego, and it's about you, and it's about whatever, it's like, it will definitely show. But if I can come and be curious about the person, and it it puts the attention on them, I think having curiosity about people, you can really get to understand how they work, how they learn. I think just having
0: curiosity helps a ton. All right. So let's talk training. We'll start with your training. What are you currently doing?
1: Training right now. I'm actually following formation. So with the training team, we have 12-week seasons that we go through, and I write the program, and Nance and Lori kind of tweak it and chime in, and I'm doing all of formation strength programming. I feel like doing it with them has been some of the most consistent training I've ever been in my life, because I feel like if I'm writing this for other people to do, it would be strangely hypocritical if I'm not also doing the same thing. So I do formation strength programming. And what is that looking like now? right now, we literally just ended season yesterday. So we ended the season two yesterday. So we roll in, we have three, four week phases that we're doing strength and conditioning where it's literally, we have two days of like really big lifts where we're doing things like, you know, squats, pulls, deadlifts, bench, um, that kind of stuff. We do unilateral days where we're just working on single arm, single leg. And then we, we started doing legit interval days too. I think with high intensity interval training, I feel like that phrase gets thrown out a lot where it's like, it's, just, it's really hard. So it's high intensity, but we take it to where it's like, like legit routes where it's like super short bursts of time where you're doing something at max capacity or full out and then a lot of rest. So it's like legit sprints. So you're maybe on for 10 seconds off for 50 seconds um, so we're doing that kind of stuff. And then we do legit cardiac output days too, where we're training heart rate for recovery, trying to get our left ventricle pumping efficiently. So that's, that's how we roll.
0: Wow, look at that nod to anatomy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how do you approach writing a program for new to the gym clients? When somebody first comes in,
1: if we're talking in-person clients, I want to give them all the tools they can to be proficient if they left that day and went to another gym and never came back. So really my goal for a first training session would be teach them the language, get their body to neutral, and then I'm gonna teach them like the big four squat, hinge, push, pull. So we do I'll do like a goblet squat. If it's somebody brand new, we'll just we'll get a little bit of weight in their hands, get them squatting, a deadlift, so we'll teach the hinge. We'll do some kind of either push-up or bench press or some kind of horizontal pressing. We'll do some horizontal pulling, either in like a TRX row or a a bent-over row. And then we'll get them some single leg work. So we'll traditionally do like split squats and then planks or any kind of like anti-rotation work and carries. And so really I'm teaching them if I want to lay a foundation where it's like if I can get them to squat, hinge, push, pull, stabilize, and maybe do a, a weighted carry... That's a foundation that they can build off of exponentially. So every time somebody comes in at the beginning, we're teaching them those things, getting them proficient at those movements, and then once they start, we can kind of expanding on. Well, now we can do this deadlift, or we can do this or this. But we want to lay the foundation first. So then that's literally how we start every single person.
0: That has such a service oriented mindset. It, the thing that sticks out to me is you were saying if they come to me today and they never come back, what can they take with them? And I don't, I don't. I appreciate it. I really admire that in your perspective on, on teaching a client.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. Um, that's definitely like the Mark Fisher Fitness
0: way. I mean, they, like I said, they've
1: done a great job of, of creating language and creating a system of onboarding that's like super safe and useful. And I literally, like when people come in um, – at MFF or when I was in Kansas City for a little bit, I would literally start every single client the same way, even if they had trained before, even if they had moved before, I want to develop that foundation. But really the goal is, can I make this memorable, right? Is this going to be memorable? Like even with like the sad dog, some of the language stuff is like, they're going to go to the gym and when they plank now for the rest of their life, they're going to remember sad dog, right? So it's like, can I give them something that they can take with them. And at least, even if MFF's not the right fit or even if I'm not the right fit as their coach, can I give them something memorable that so they can take with them for the rest of their life?
0: So let's take a step back to programming. You were talking about writing the programming for formation. What has been yeah. some of your influences in how you approach programming?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Strength faction has, has been a huge influence. Chris Merritt does the programming for those for that crew, for their gym. And he just has a really great way of approaching where it's like it's accessible to all levels. Um, he So he has been a, a huge influence. And I think having some like sports-specific background, Nancy Newell is another coach for formation. Lori and I, we all have a sport. We come from sports, obviously, you know, Lori more than me or Nance. But having that influence where it's like, where we're doing big lifts, where we're doing other things, but we're also incorporating some kind of fun and a little bit of friendly competition as well. So we'll have like little formation Friday challenges or we'll throw out a challenge in the group, but also making it, I think the accessibility, like in our program. So like on the training team, let's say we're doing like deadlifts and benches that instead of writing, like everyone's doing sumo deadlift, we'll give like three or four options within that like deadlifting box so people have a choice. So there's some autonomy within the programming. So maybe they've never done a trap bar deadlift. Maybe they only have access to like kettlebells. So, you know, maybe they're choosing a double kettlebell deadlift instead of a trap bar. Um, but we're given autonomy within that too, because it's like, I don't feel like a deadlift is a deadlift is a deadlift, but like to a general population client, it kind of is, right? So it's like, hopefully it's accessible and it's still super smart programming, hopefully. But it's it's meeting them where they are. And how do you teach
0: them? Which variation to pick?
1: So some of it really is just like based on the equipment that they have. We go through on the training team, we do coaches corner lessons where we talk through each of the like different kinds of lifts and a lot of it too is just based on women's comfort level. If they want to try something new, we'll have them do it, record it, and then send it back to us. And then so a lot of times too, it's like limb length where it's like, all right, like we'd rather have you doing a sumo than like a conventional deadlift or a trap bar, or maybe maybe you're doing like a rack pull instead of all those things because we want you to be in a better position. So them sending in videos is super helpful and being able to kind of assess and then give them what we think based on how they look. But a lot of it too is like, stuff that they want to try so some women they're like i've never done a you know barbell front squat like i really just want to try it it's really great send a video let's play and maybe they're maybe it's not the heaviest squat they've they've ever done in their life but they kind of get to play around with it and it kind of gives them the opportunity to try new things and some some of it's like a lot of people are like what what's a safety squat bar like it's sometimes like stuff that they've never seen or heard of they have it in the gym kind of gives them the opportunity to go
0: explore based on their comfort level So in terms of programming, I personally have made a lot of mistakes when writing client programs. And I know that there's a lot of talk in the fitness community about how do you program? What's the best way to program? And kind of taking all these deep dives into methods. Mm -hmm. What's one mistake that you've made when writing programs for clients? And how did you realize it? And what did you do to fix it?
1: Great question. Uh Uh-huh. When I was when I was a younger coach, for sure, and I didn't know a ton about programming, my biggest mistake was making stuff too hard. It was like I, I think I thought if I made this hard, or like oh man, it's so hard they almost can't do it, Then they th- would think it was hard and want to continue to train with me. And as a younger coach, like that that was by far the biggest mistake because it's like. It would be like teaching somebody a guitar who's never played guitar before, and you want them to like rip off these like crazy riffs. You know, it's like it's not going to happen. You got to teach them the scales first. It's like you got to teach them where to put their fingers. So, I think people want to make things way harder than they need to be. I think people want to make things like have way more variety than they need, especially at the beginning. And I think just a setting a foundation—that's been my Biggest takeaway over the last 13 years is like, give people a solid foundation to work off of like hard doesn't mean it's good. It's because something like I can program burpees for an hour and it's gonna be really hard. Like it doesn't mean it's smart. It doesn't mean it's effective. So it's like simple programs can uh, can produce amazing results if people can do it and then follow it. So I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing would be like, it doesn't need to be hard for the sake of being hard. Like you can program really smart things that are simple and effective.
0: And how do you work with clients who are asking for that complexity or difficulty when you know what they need is simple and consistent? Sure, yeah, we'll give them we'll give them the candy
1: at the end. Yeah. So we're like, yeah, we give them the candy. So, you know, what we need to do is like work a squat pattern or we need to work you know, some kind of pull pattern. It's like, we'll still do, we'll get in there. We'll do warm up. We'll still do some power core. We'll, we'll get the meat and potatoes of the workout. And then if they want to, if they feel like they need to feel tired at the end of the workout to feel like they really did something, we'll throw the stuff in at the end. Like we'll give people crazy ropes. We'll give people some crazy finishers, but we want to make sure they have their like nutrient dense meal first, right? It's like, you want to get the good stuff in And then, you know, we can have some fun at the end. I will for sure program a ton of bicep curls at the end if someone wants a pump. You know, I'm not (laughs) sad. I don't feel, you know, it's fun. It's like, it's like, it's good stuff. But it's like, you want to give them, you know, it's like what they need and also what they want. And I think they can have both. And I think if you are presenting it to them in a way that is like, it's more long-term right? Where it's like fitness, hopefully for most people is a lifelong thing, right? Where it's like, where it's not just about killing yourself. If they can, if you can really kind of instill those values of like mastery or uh, virtuosity, like just master of the basics, master of the basics. Like if you, any Olympian, any musician that's incredible. It's like, they do the basics better than everybody, right? That's why they are where they are. And then once they master the basics, then they can play, then they can do the fun stuff. But they've spent years mastering the basics. So I think if you can if you can teach that kind of from the beginning and, and they can take pride in that as well, they can take pride in their movement. That's super helpful in having those conversations with people.
0: Recently, I've seen you play around with tutorials on your IG stories, everything from rowing to contrast training. Let's actually take a step back and talk briefly about what contrast training is. And then I'm going to ask a follow-up question about the IG stories. Yeah,
1: contrast training. We're training for like explosive strength, explosive strength. So a lot of times athletes need explosive strength. It's fun for, we do it for a lot of our training team is general population. And it's just a different way to, you know, it's like we can do the same squats over and over and over. Sometimes it's fun to kind of mix it up a little bit and throw that little bit more athletic side into it. So contrast training, you're taking like a super heavy strength movement followed by an explosive movement in the same pattern. So maybe you're doing front squats, like super heavy front squats immediately followed by jump squats. So that, that's, how, uh, that's how we would use contrast training.
0: And so what's been the outcome of doing these tutorials on IG stories, both from a client perspective and a peer perspective? Client perspective, I think it's just giving them something where it's like contrast, like sometimes people have never heard of it,
1: stuff like that before. So it's just a new way to like play and like get some ideas of how to train. So from a client perspective, again, it's just like teaching them, right? I'm just giving them information. This is a way you, you could play with this. And it also doesn't have to be. Sometimes people try stuff and they're like, whoa, like that was insane. Or like, I do not want to do that again. But from a client perspective, it's just giving them, again, just like teaching or giving them information. From a peer perspective, I've actually had quite a few people, specifically on the rowing tutorials, so many people are like, I had no idea, like the damper was not like a resistance setting. (laughs) Or like I had no idea how to program, like where you can set up intervals and stuff and use the rowing machine, use the monitor to do some like pretty cool stuff. So from a peer perspective, they're like, thank you for sharing. Like I had no clue. I think, I mean, rowing is like, I don't like, doing cardiovascular work unfortunately <laughs> but I love rowing I love it so much and I had the opportunity to work with um Angela Hart and do her certification and learn all about the rower and um and I love it I think it's a very underutilized piece of equipment but um so that was cool just to have other people be like oh man I like I didn't know that
0: Well I appreciate as somebody who follows your IG stories all of the information that you're sharing all of the authoritative information that you're sharing on your on your social media thank so, you thank you one thing I admire about you, Amanda, is how easily you connect with people. And I'm saying this from a personal experience from meeting you a couple of times. And each time we meet, it's as if we have known each other for a lot longer than we have. Sure. Is that something that's always been a part of who you are, or was that an intentional shift? I
1: think it's always come like being around people, even like pretty introverted, being around people and connecting with them has always, I'm saying, come very naturally. But I think, if, like, going back to even the coaching piece, it's like if you show up in life with curiosity, there is something that's so – it just has people, like, let their guard down. I think it's easy when you meet people to kind of – I don't to say hold back a little bit, but be a little bit reserved. And I think if somebody's meeting you with curiosity, like genuine curiosity about your life or about what's happening, there is an ease that they also feel of, like, oh, this person – like actually gives a shit in a weird way, right? Where it's like, sometimes you meet people and it becomes this battle of like, well, I do this or I do this, or there's a weird competitiveness to it sometimes. I don't know, I think if you generally are curious about people, I think they'll feel that. And then I think it helps them open up a little bit.
0: So recently you've also been sharing a lot about mental health on your Instagram. Yeah. Uh, What started that? So when Anthony Bourdain and Kate
1: Spade, when their when their suicides came to the public knowledge, there was so much going on, and I think there's it's just not ever talked about. It. It's this very taboo thing, and I think mental health looks very different than what people construct in their head. So I think, you know, it's like with, with anything, with depression, with anxiety, with bipolar disorder, whatever it might be, I think people create these stories of what they think it is when really it's like, no, nah, man, it's just like, it's not like it's not like that at all to an extent. And so after that came out and people started talking a little bit more, I wanted to share, I was, um, so I, I struggle with anxiety, uh, like general anxiety disorder. And I think the hard part is I am, super high functioning, like anxiety almost propels me forward in like getting stuff done. So I have like anxiety around time, I have anxiety around future. And those are ways of thinking or being that have just happened over time. These these feelings or thoughts have just kind of developed over and over or over time. So I think a lot of people think it's like you're just born with this thing. And, and maybe sometimes you are, like some mental health is hereditary. But a lot of it is just these patterns that are practiced over and over and over. And I think there are ways to make it better. Obviously, therapy, sometimes people use medication, which I think is is so powerful and necessary. But I think people don't know what anxiety or sometimes depression looks like. So uh, when I shared on social media, I was experiencing an anxiety attack. And sometimes they're triggered by things and then sometimes they're like kind of out of nowhere where I'm like, oh man, it like feels like like a physical anxiety attack. This is only for me personally. Everybody experiences them different. But I feel like I'm like stuck in a car on the way to the airport and I'm gonna be late for my flight. And there are people like, I can't get out of this car. And like, I'm gonna be late on a flight that I need to get to. Or it's just a very physical kind of tightness in your chest. Sometimes it feels like you're having a heart attack. And I was experiencing one on my way into work one day on the subway, literally, I mean, it was like kind of out of nowhere and nothing really triggered it. And so I decided to share that experience as it was happening because I thought I can carry on a conversation right now. Like nobody would know that I am feeling the way that I do on the inside. And I want to share that this happens to so many people and you would just never know. So it's like, I I think people think of an anxiety attack, like you're in the corner shaking or you're crying. And sometimes that does happen but a lot of times for people it's like they're just fighting on the inside as hard as they can but they can come straight face at you and have a conversation and like you just never know it so there are a lot of very high functioning people with mental illnesses that it's like you you just would have no idea but it's it happens way more than we think and it's just not talked about enough did you receive a lot of feedback from those posts Yeah, I actually, it was really beautiful and also kind of sad and scary. So, so many people, a ton of people reach out and be like, the same thing happens to me. And like people I wouldn't know, right? Where it's like these very seemingly like very successful, very on the ball, like on top of all their shit. People are like, I have these anxious attacks or "I, I feel the same way. And it just made me realize like, oh my gosh, it's like so many people just don't talk about it or don't share. It. You just never know. And then I think on the other end of the spectrum, which is a tricky part with mental health, is that so many people reached out and they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I think for somebody with that struggles with mental health, and I can only speak for me specifically, I don't say like that's the last thing you want, but- it's like in general in life, like, yes, I am totally fine. It's something that I personally struggle with. But it's like the are you okays, it's so hard. It's like we treat mental illness differently than we treat other illnesses in the body. So it's like if somebody had cancer and they shared about their cancer, it's, I don't, don't want be like, you wouldn't reach out and be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Because clearly they're not okay, right? Like they have cancer and they can still be high functioning and going through treatments and totally fine but like they're they're not okay and there's probably nothing you can do except for like show up and be a and be a good friend or or just be there for them but i think um and also the, specifically with like depression too right so so many people had posted on facebook afterward uh, of the the suicides and they were just like if anybody needs help like i'm here for you i'm here for you but i think if you have depression or if you have anxiety, the last thing you want to do is bring other people into it. So there's so much guilt and shame that comes with it. And that's why Riley and I started talking about it as a couple because it affects her in a very different way that it affects me, but it does affect other people. So I have a ton of guilt if I'm feeling anxious in a day or it's like, oh man, like we're out and we're doing this fun thing and it should be fun and having a good time. And like, I'm like having a legit anxiety attack. It, it affects her and it sucks. So I have guilt where I'm like, we should be having fun and she could go have fun and just live a normal life with somebody else and like have a great time and not have to deal with it. So there's so much guilt that comes with it. And I think depression too, if you're depressed and you're at home, like in your bed, the hopelessness or that, that you're feeling, like you're not reaching out to your friend because you feel guilty for even experiencing it anyway. So there's just a lot of misconception of, of what it is and the feeling. And I know a lot of people too, like with some of the suicides, they were like, it's so selfish or it's so like, look, they left their families behind. They left their families behind. But I think if you're a depressed person, not being in the world sometimes feels like that's the greatest gift you can give because then they don't have to deal with it because there is so much guilt that comes with it where it's like taking yourself out of the situation so they don't have to deal with it anymore feels like the best thing you can do, as opposed to like, this is selfish, you're taking yourself out of the situation. It's like, no, I'm relieving them of this burden, if that makes sense.
0: I think a lot of times people will comment without fully understanding the situation. And I think that can lead to irresponsible posting, especially with regards to things like mental illness. So I'm glad that you're presenting it from that first person perspective. What are some of the methods that you have used personally to work with your anxiety? Meditation for sure. I'm like really bad at it. (laughs) Um, uh,
1: And I think it could be, I mean, even outside of like anxiety or any kind of mental health, like meditation just bringing yourself back to this like neutral or present place. I think is super beneficial for anybody. But I think it's like you know it's, it's if you are experiencing anxiety it's a lot of times about like something that you think is going to happen in the future, where it's like you're not there, it's not happening. you can only be present, so taking some breaths, like bringing yourself kind of back to reality, and if your thinkers are thinking like it's really hard to to go there in a meditative state. One thing that has been helpful in meditation is almost taking yourself out and like thinking about things happening in your body so if I'm trying to be present, I'll think about, like I'll start maybe with like my mouth or my lips and be like, think about how they feel. How are they taking up space on my face? How are they taking up space in the room? And kind of going through your body. And it's like, if you're thinking about how you're taking up space physically, it's hard for your brain to keep going because you're focusing on other things. So um, it's like getting your thinkers to kind of turn off. It's super challenging, but it's so useful for for being back to present. Another one is not like what's the worst that can happen, but sometimes talking through like, what's the worst that can happen is like, oh, well that's it. Like, why do I, why am I all worked up about if like, that's the worst thing that can happen. Um, Then why, why is this a thing? And then gratitude too, I think showing gratitude. So like part of my anxiety, I get rumination, which is basically like a thought that goes on repeat over and over and over. you can spin it into a ton of different directions. And that fortunately, uh, I didn't know for a long time that was a thing or that it wasn't a thing that everybody experienced for the extent of time. And fortunately, Now, if I catch myself spinning out on a thought, let's say you had an interaction with a friend and it didn't go well, something happened and you were mad. So somebody with rumination, they might think about that and all the different things that they could have said differently or how they wanted the situation to change and it could go on for a long time and it could spin into like, well, they said this thing five years ago and they're like that. And so it's, it's just not a productive, it's not a productive place to be. And at least for me with rumination, realizing like, oh my gosh, this isn't like, this is a thing that happens that I don't have control over. Now knowing like if I'm starting, if my head's starting to go there, I can be like, nope, this is like, we're not going there. And like kind of redirects, redirect the thought pattern because it is a thought pattern, right? It's a, it happens. It's like breathing almost, right? Where it's like, it's going to happen without you having any control over it. So it's like, if it starts to happen, catching, realizing like you're kind of in that state of rumination and then Redirecting thoughts or just doing something different completely. Sometimes I'll turn on music. Sometimes I'll sing super loud just to redirect that thought
0: pattern. I can totally relate to that, especially the part about learning that something that's going on in your mind is not also going on with everybody else and and finding out that that is something that you can change about yourself. Yeah. Uh, So, how have you learned some of these techniques? Have you worked with a therapist? Have you done your own research? Yeah, yes. Do you you care about sharing? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I work with a therapist here in New York for maybe like eight months and I would love to continue. It's like, I think a therapy in New York, especially good ones are hard to come by and it's insanely expensive. So a lot of great therapists don't take insurance. Like it's like PTs, right? Where it's like a lot of wonderful PTs don't go through insurance companies because it's like, it's a crazy process for them. So a lot of therapists don't, go through insurance companies and some do, but uh, the woman that I found who was phenomenal did not happen to take at least my insurance. Um, So I was paying out of pocket and so I was like, I could go, I went as long as I could and then I was like, I would love to continue this and I literally just can't. I mean, it's like paying a second rent in New Mm -hmm. York to go once a week. So, but she was amazing and I have tools from her. I have read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of books. One specifically, Rewired the Anxious Brain had talked about just what happens in the brain when anxiety, when you're experiencing anxiety and sometimes just knowing what's going on where it's like, Oh, this is causing it. My brain is doing this thing and it's causing this reaction that has been super helpful. And just like, this is a thing that's happening. And you know what? Like maybe some of these, not like feelings aren't real because they totally are, but like this thing is happening right now. And, uh, this is anxiety and like all right, cool, you accept it. And now we can try to like step away from it a little bit. So that was one. And then there's another book too. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One, which is like, (laughs) what? That's like a title for a book, man. Dr. Joe Dispenza, reading that book was like, okay, cool, he presents this idea of, it's not your mind that's controlling your physical sensations in your body. It's the physical sensations in your body that are controlling your thoughts. So something like anxiety or depression, like your body knows how to do it before your brain does. And if that's a natural reaction to things, like I'm really good at anxiety, which sounds, it sucks to say, but like my, my body is so great at going into an anxious state that it will do it before like my brain can even catch up with it. So he's like, if you remember, like if you had to call your parents uh, from like their childhood landline phone number, which
0: I just heard you wanted to get the landline, by the way. Is that true? (laughs) I I, I do. I mean, I'm trying to get away from using my phone to my my cell phone too frequently. Yeah, that's so smart. (laughs) Landlines,
1: Right. They're coming back. Yeah. It's like, if you had to dial your childhood landline number, your fingers could probably do that before your brain could realize what the numbers were. Right. right. So we have this physical thing that our body knows how to be in different states. If you're an athlete, your body can react before your brain kind of catches up. So his thought was that it's the same with mental health, where it's like your body, if you are good at going into an anxious state, your body will go there before your mind can do it. And then your body, those feelings then dictate these feelings of like, oh my gosh, I guess I'm anxious now. Like, why am I anxious? And you're trying to like figure out, it's like your, your mind is the second part, your body's the first. So it's like reprogramming your body to not have those sensations, which was a very interesting concept I had never thought of. But those two books specifically, Rewire the Anxious Brain, and then that really long title one that was like super sad, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Those have been great resources. So yeah, just a lot, a lot of A lot of researching, a lot of reading, a lot of trying to just understand and talk about it. So you and Riley
0: did the IG live together. How have the two of you had to work together to, with your anxiety? Yeah,
1: she is amazing. She is so Mm -hmm. awesome. And I feel so grateful for her literally every day. And sometimes I'm like, how do you do this? Like, why do you want to do this? But I think for her, it's like, honestly, back to the curiosity piece, right? When we, when we were first dating, it was before I really, this was a couple of years ago, before I really understood like, oh my gosh, I have anxiety and these are all the effects of it. It was really like, I was just having like, my moods were like kind of swinging. And she was really the only person that got to experience it. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people's partners are the only one that really get to see kind of the ins and outs of mental health. And then, for the most part, a lot of times in life, like people show up as their best selves, right? It's like if you're front facing, like you're going to, for the most part, pretty like nail it and people would never know. But it's like the partners are the ones that kind of get the shit under the stick and really have to do a lot of the deep work if they choose. And so Riley at the beginning, she brought that to me where she was like, I think you could potentially like have anxiety. And I'm like, Duh. but without, without really like understanding what it was or really diving deep into it. And so we started doing more research and I went to therapy and then did all that stuff. And so her curiosity about it, cause it's like, if you are the partner and you, you're taking the brunt of it, it's like, of course, it's like, it's easy to be like, why are you being an asshole? Like, why are you mad right now? Like, why did you like, we're having fun. Why did your energy just shift? And it's like the partners, I think th- there's not enough information for people in relationships with with people dealing with mental health. And so with her curiosity, we named, we kind of like named it. So it was kind of like a funny thing. And so when I have anxiety, we, we literally like named her Betty. Mm-hmm. And we're like, Betty's here. And it's kind of like a, I mean, it's like kind of a joke and it's kind of like weird. But if I have like different kinds of anxiety, we have like Betty one, Betty two, Betty three. And Betty one is like physical anxiety, right? So it's just like, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden just like a wave coming over me of like physical anxiety which I've been able to really kind of not get a grasp on, but it's just like, okay, this is happening. Great. But it's letting her know and us having a mutual understanding has been so helpful. So if I'm like dealing with it, she'll be like, is Betty here? I'm like, yep. Which one is it? And then we'll kind of talk about it right in the moment and just labeling it. It's helped with our communication so much and i think for a lot of couples if it's like if you're the partner and you don't know that your partner has anxiety or maybe the partner doesn't even know that they have anxiety it's really easy to be like you're just an asshole or like what is happening why are you like this but us going through and talking about it together and her being curious and wanting to understand more listening and being there and me being able to listen to her has been so helpful in our relationship and i think it's brought us so much closer than like what a traditional couple would be because it's like you really you really have to do some deep work and and learn how to communicate and listen and talk through things together. But being able to label it and having her kind of understand what's happening was has been huge for us. So how did you find your therapist initially? I saw several before I found the one that I ended up landing on. So it's just definitely a process, at least in New York, where it's like, it's, it's very hit or miss, but I ended up getting a referral from one of my buddies who just said that he had an amazing therapist and I should at least check her out. And a lot of the therapists that I had gone to see, it was like, you go in for your initial consultation and then they're like, okay, great. Like come back and do the thing. This woman, she wanted to get on the phone before we met in person And we talked through a bunch of stuff. And again, I don't know, it's so weird to be like this curiosity piece where she just asked so many questions and also was like, I might not be the right fit for you. Like, but I would love to understand what you're going through. And if I'm not, then I would would definitely, I'll have people that I refer out to. And I think even just that, and it's weird to be like, it's the same thing from a coaching perspective, a weird full circle here. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I think, you know, as a coach, You know, I would think the same thing, right? Where it's like, if somebody wants to train with me, like back to like on that first session, if I can just give them something to take with for the rest of their lives, even if they don't come back, hopefully I'll have helped them in some way. And I think just being curious and just wanting, having somebody's like best interest at heart, I felt very much that she just asked, asked questions, got curious and was like, I might not be the right fit, but I'll help you find somebody that is. I think that is so so useful and just such a beneficial tool and any coaching, any teacher, any therapist, any, the
0: toolbox, like you really feel like they do have your best interest at heart. I'm so glad we wrapped that up in a, a nice little package there. <laughs> so let's move on to the last three questions, the lightning round questions. What is the most memorable
1: thing you've ever eaten? When I had the opportunity to use, I was student teaching in Ghana and Africa. And we had what's called banku and fufu, and it was basically like this starchy like yeast ball that you ate in soup with your hand. So it's like this ball of dough almost that you would scoop out with your hand that was in a soup, and you just like scooped it out of your hand. And I had never experienced anything like that before. And it was pretty tasty. It was like not hygienic, I don't think, in the moment, but like it was was pretty awesome. So you did a, a student teaching... Term in Ghana, my degree was in music education, and so I got to teach music in Ghana. yeah, what instruments do you play? I studied classical saxophone, which is not a great study. I'll tell you that <laughs> um, I loved it i love I loved playing, but like nobody wants to listen to classical saxophone like i'm not, like classical saxophone is like really want to listen to classical saxophone, so we had to learn how to play every instrument, so as a music educator, we learned to play almost everything in Western music. And then when I was in Ghana, though, I taught choir and piano. Do you still play instruments? I don't a ton. I played, I was playing hand percussion for a while a couple of years ago and I was kind of playing a bit, but I I haven't played in a while. Do you miss it? I do. There is a creative and emotional outlet that comes from playing music. I think especially if you're not like, I'm not a good singer by any means. So it's like, if you can't sing, there's something about playing music that releases something in you that words can't really
0: express. So that, yeah, I do. I do miss it. So what are three people, books or podcasts, anything that have been influential to you? Podcasts, I would
1: say Impact Theory, Tom Bilyeu has been insane. Tom Bilyeu was one of the creators of Quest Nutrition and then he's, he's kind of gone off and to do his own thing and, and it's more about like the brain and how humans function and, and why we do the things that we do and so his guests and some of the things he talks about in neuroscience have been insane. So I loved the impact theory quite a bit. I think Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has been a great book. I, th- I mean, I could go books forever. Mindset by Carol Dweck. There's a ton, like, Die Empty, Todd Henry. Uh, I could do a ton of books. Uh, and people, a person. Honestly, like, this sounds, uh, I'm, like, totally biased, but, you know, you know, Mark Fisher and Michael Keeler, I feel like they are, are doing something that's so magical and so beautiful and have created the space for people to come. And I think, you know, when you think about business or you think about, how things should be. Like they've just gone against the grain and just have loved the shit out of people and have made a space and it it works and people want it. So I think just seeing them do that over the last, you know, five or six years, they've definitely influenced me in the
0: direction that I've gone for sure. Last question. If someone came to earth from another planet, what is one thing you would tell them? Okay. I think if we're going back to seven
1: habits of highly effective people, I think, Seek first to understand, then to be understood is just a great little habit or idea for life. So if, if somebody's coming from a different planet, I would, I would for sure say that. Seek first to understand. And if I was going to another planet too, I think I would also seek first to understand what the heck was going on on their planet. So I think that's what it would be. Seek first to understand, then to be understood.
0: I actually have one more follow-up question. <laughs> yeah. So it, you read a lot of books. Yeah. How do you absorb and keep all of that information to use at a later time yeah oh my gosh uh I, this to be completely honest, like i don't <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I mean no, I really try like it's that I think that's the hardest thing, right? It's like if you're reading we I do a read a uh, ton, and a lot of times it's like I think what I need to be better at is taking ideas and implementing them immediately, right? Or if you have an idea or if you learn a new word or if you're learning something, it's like take it and do something with it that day. How can you use it that day? Because then it becomes ingrained. I mean, there are so many books I've read where I'm like, what, wait, what was that book? In the moment, it's like, oh man, this is great information. And then you just move on to the next one. And I'm so guilty of that. But there are some times where it's like, no, this is good. Like this needs to stick. How can I implement this? today so then I can take it with me so to be completely honest like I need to be way better about taking it and applying it that day but I think the ones that I have is just like nope you use it immediately you start to put that language into your own language or that language into your thoughts and I think that's an easy way to be able to understand and then use but yeah it is I yes honestly I need to be way better about it
0: All right, so I want you to actually talk a little bit about Lady Guns and what's coming up in the next month or so.
1: Sweet, Lady Guns. We just put it out, was it July? Yeah, July 13th, we're still in the same month. It's a six-week program for women that they can do on their own. We wanted to create something that was a little bit more of an upper body focus. We felt like so many programs for women are like, only fat loss or like bonds of steel, which are awesome. But there's not really a focus for women that's like, oh man, let's, like, let's, let's get jacked. Let's like work this upper body. So we created a six-week kind of DIY total body program, but with a focus in upper body with some nutrition, things that they can put into practice right away that will help with that. Uh, so that's lady guns. And then coming up, our next season of the training team, which is our 12 week strength conditioning program that we do nutrition and mindset habits in as well. Uh, we coach in the group, so people are live and active with me, Lori Lindsay, and Nancy Newell, or we're doing Coach's Corner. They're in a private Facebook group. Everyone's running on the same program with autonomy, so they're doing the same program, but again, with the equipment that they have or based on their experience again, we're like, that's all live coach. That's we're we're in it together for those 12 weeks. And so that's coming up September 3rd and we're doing our early bird or our wait list is going to open up on August 13th. So that's, that's coming down the pipeline.
0: And people can get on to the wait list by going to formationstrength.com. Is yes. That? Okay. All right. Great. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciated all of the uh, open and honest talk we had about mental health. And thank you. Uh, I can't wait to see you uh, in real life. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. All right, well, thanks so much. All right, girl. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Muscles of the Masses, the podcast. To support Amanda, join the training team at formationstrength.com. Registration opens August 20th. If you'd like to support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, Tell a friend or buy a butt bag at muscletothemasses.com.